0: Well, my name is Ben Robertson. If we've not met, I'd love to meet you. I'm a campus minister over at the college, of William and Mary, and um, with RUF. And I just wanted to take. Well, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter eight. If you want to go ahead and be turning there, um, I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, Wednesday night um, at the prayer meeting, if you weren't here, uh, I received a little surprise party uh, from you all, and uh, to celebrate 10 years of RUF and. It, it was a genuine surprise. You guys did a good job of keeping it a secret. And I just wanted to say thank you to everyone. Um, Jeff and Jerry in particular, they knew that barbecue is my love language. And so they um, had barbecue made on the back of a truck by some Mennonites. So you know, it's the real thing. Um, and um, several others, the missions committee, the session, organized it. There was a cake. They rolled a cake right down the middle that Jennifer Allen made uh, personally. She's sort of the cake wizard, and uh, she keeps the, the recipe of her cakes uh, under lock and key. Um, so what I did is I took a sample of it and had it tested uh, in a lab. And I won't I won't give you the whole recipe here, but the secret ingredient um, is crack. I don't know if you have had her cake, but that will come to no surprise. But it it was really we felt um, we felt really loved, and and we feel very grateful to all of you to be to be part of this church. You've been very generous to us. Um, So this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 8. It's a parable that Jesus told, the sort of famous one, the parable of the sower. Uh, Last week, if you were here, uh, we had a a guest from Reformed Seminary in uh, D.C., and he spoke to us last week about Scripture, about how we celebrate that we study Scripture alone as our source of authority and the perspicuity of Scripture. Do you remember that, which means the clarity of Scripture? So I thought this week we would look at a parable, a story that Jesus told about Scripture, about what Scripture does on us, what it does to us and does in our hearts. So Luke chapter eight, we'll start at verse four and read through about verse 18. So Luke 8, starting at verse four. And when a great crowd was gathered, was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he, Jesus, said in a parable, "A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables. So that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away." Let's pray. Lord Jesus, now as we receive your word, we want to be good soil. We want to hold your word fast in an honest and good heart and bear great fruit. So we need your help to do that. Holy Spirit, be with us. Transform us that we might not only be hearers of the word, but doers also. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. A couple of years ago, there was this really brilliant advertisement for Beats Audio, the headphones, and it's actually even more perfect in light of recent events uh, in the NFL. The commercial is starring Colin Kaepernick, the quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, who was really on an upsurge at the time, becoming kind of famous overnight. If you follow the NFL, you know that last week uh, he was benched, uh, and he's no longer the starting quarterback, so he might need this commercial even more now than ever. But it's Colin Kaepernick going through a crowd of jeering fans of the opposing team, and they're hurling insults at him, telling him how bad he is, yelling as he's heading towards the football stadium. And as he walks along, he's hearing them yell insults at him, and he takes his Beats headphones and puts them over his ears, and suddenly the crowd is silence, noise-canceling headphones. And in its place, You can tell everybody, you can tell everybody, you can tell everybody, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. And it, it keeps singing, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man, over and over. And he just sort of smiles and bobs his head, walks through the crowd listening to what he's listening to, and on the screen it says, Hear what you want. Beats audio. Hear what you want. I thought it was brilliant. I, mean, I love the way it did. it. made me want to buy headphones. Um, so it worked <laughs> But I thought it was a brilliant commentary on what we all really do, don't we? We are constantly choosing what we will listen to, ignoring the things that we don't want to hear and paying attention to the things that we do, and not only ignoring the things we don't want to hear, but then choosing how we will let the things that we do listen to operate on us. What will we do with that? Will we tell ourselves we're the man, or will we listen to the jeering crowd or something else? Jesus says, He says he calls out after telling the parable, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he concludes a couple of other parables a few verses later saying, take care then how you hear. This is a story not just about what you hear, but about how you hear. It's a story about God's word, but it's also a story about our hearts. That our hearts are connected to our hearing that our hearts actually determine how we hear. So let's look at the story really quickly. There's a farmer going around scattering seed. A sower goes out to sow. The seed is the word of God, Jesus tells us. The seed is the same, but the responses of the four soils are different. The soil, of course, is the heart, Jesus tells us. And here Jesus describes four different hearts, four different reactions to his word. The first soil is hard. It's the path. This is the person who hears the word and, like water off a duck's back, it just rolls off. Like when you have waxed your car and you put the Rain-X on the windshield and you can just drive right through the rainstorm without even using your windshield wipers. It's another commercial. Um, And it just blasts off the windshield and gone. I don't have time for this. This is ridiculous. I have more important things to do than to consider this to really reflect, to examine my heart, to take the claims of the Bible seriously. There are different kinds of hardness you might have. There could be that intellectual hardness, this idea that the Bible is a superstitious book for backwards people who haven't read the newspaper lately and don't know what science is, who believe in a silly thing like a resurrection, a man coming back to life. It's a 2,000-year-old book primarily written by nomadic sheep herders, and you expect me to take it seriously? Like, I don't. why would I even have this conversation? If that's where you are right now, one, I'm very glad that you're here, and I think it was a bold move in, in many ways for you to be here. You, you don't want to be here, um, and I'm glad that you are, and I respect that you are. But I would simply ask you to please let this man, Jesus, in his words, interact with your life it would be hard to imagine or to make an argument that any person in the history of the world is more significant than Jesus Christ, no matter what your worldview is. So please allow his words to engage you just a smidgen, to listen and examine and explore and ask more. It could also be an emotional hardness, which is often behind the intellectual hardness. An emotional hardness of heart. Many of you have been deeply, deeply wounded by Christians or by pastors, or by parents, or Sunday school teachers. And some of you have been hurt in other ways, not necessarily directly connected to Christianity or the church, but you have suffered in life in general through abuse, through loss, through death, through illness, which makes hearing the word feel impossible. It's very hard for you to believe that there could be a good and loving God who has something to say to you. And so you don't want to hear it. And I understand that. Or it could be a spiritual hardness. A self-righteousness. And this is the kind of hardness that Jesus was most commonly interacting with in his teaching and in his parables. This person is a know-it-all. And the know-it-all is Jesus' main target. Is that you? Look, I've heard all this before. I get it. Nothing new. Even the seminary guy last week already knew what perspicuity meant. Right? I'm not going to let this sink in. Moving right along. Are we going to do another sermon on the parable of the sower? bend? Like, really? It's pretty simple. I get it. Jesus says, take care how you hear. Take care then how you hear. When I was look at the rocky soil, the rocky soil, Jesus says, is a person who at first receives the message with joy. But the moment the testing comes, the moment things get tough, joy is not enough. And they don't last. Once you have to examine deeper. That word for testing could mean, as we prayed about just this morning, persecution. Someone opposing the faith. And it could be, as we see all around the world, a literal physical assault. Assault. Or for you, the persecution may just be having that friend or neighbor or co-worker who has the intellectual hardness and sneers at you and makes you feel dumb. And so you can't handle the testing. Or it could just be the testing of life getting harder. Of Jesus wanting more than just superficial joy in your life. I'm happy to receive the word so long as it makes me happy, but stop Questioning my motives, Bible. Stop asking to be the central operating principle of my life. Don't talk to me about sacrifice or ethics. Just let me be happy and leave me alone. And this kind of soil doesn't produce, because Jesus says it has no root. In other words, it's not deep. Your neighbor's, Desperately need deep people. Our world needs deep people. Our spirituality is not just a function of our excitement or enthusiasm or even our activity and busyness or happiness, but our depth. Are you deep or are you shallow? Are you willing to ask difficult questions about reality, about yourself, and to wrestle with difficult things? Very often, strong faith is considered a faith that doesn't really question a lot, that just instantly believes, that never has those doubts, but really it is someone who is ready and willing to dig deep into those questions and doubts and motives to examine and to explore theologically, biblically, personally, emotionally, intellectually. What is my heart like? Where do I stand? Who do I not love that Jesus loves? Where does my commitment waver? Where is Jesus now calling me to repent? These are questions of depth. We need depth. Next, the weeds. Weeds. Jesus says that the weeds are the cares of this world, the the love of riches and pleasure. This, This plant is like a man who has a very good marriage, who thinks highly of his wife, Loves his children, but still goes on the business trip and has the affair. Things are going well, but then other distractions come in, and they reveal that perhaps that plant was not as strong as we once thought. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus refers to it as the deceitfulness of riches. Deceitfulness, which is interesting. Uh, Professor Agnew over at the College of William & Mary uh, tells a story about an investment banker. Who was uh, in the middle of making a trade, and then suddenly has a heart attack at his desk, and it, and just instantly is dead. And his coworker ran into the room and saw it and called for help, but then quickly picked up the phone and closed the deal, while his coworker was there, dead on the on the desk. Claims it's true. That's the deceitfulness of riches, right there. A missed priority. Something's wrong. And I can look at that investment banker and be like, Well, I would never do that. You know. <laughs> okay. hmm. But, you know what I do say? Here, so, I, I've visited other countries a little bit, I've visited a third world country, and, and the thing that we say when we either see it or someone goes on a mission trip and they come back and they're at the microphone telling us about it, they say, you know what, they were happy even though they were poor, right? And we not. oh wow, isn't that amazing? Why is it amazing? Because we believe that even though is true. revealing that even though. Because I don't expect them to be happy without my stuff. How is that possible? I've been deceived by riches. I think that my happiness is built on it. Or I'll say, I'm not rich, right? Of course, when you look at, you know we talk about first world problems, hashtag first world problems. When we compare ourselves to third world issues, it's easy to say, you know, I'm not rich. Um, But even if I compare myself to King Solomon, who's pretty, I'm told, pretty rich, right? You know what King Solomon didn't have? Charmin Ultra. (laughs) He didn't have instant hot water or air conditioning or strawberries in January. In a smoothie, (laughs) right? He didn't have a memory foam pillow. I'm not rich. I've been deceived. And the deceitfulness of riches and the pleasures of this life creep in. Now, the Bible's not anti wealth. Read the Proverbs. It's a gift from God, it's to be stewarded and used. Proverbs says money is an answer to all sorts of problems. It's really helpful and good and can be a blessing to you and to the people around you. But the deceitfulness sets in when I say that even though, or when I say once things are better for me, then I'll begin to be generous. And that's a lie that I want to believe. I want to be deceived by riches. Well, finally, the good soil. The good soil grows, and Jesus decides or uh, describes it as an honest and good heart that holds fast to the word. It produces fruit. It multiplies exponentially. A hundredfold, he says, it produces from what it is. It's fruitful. What does fruitful mean? We're tempted to say fruitful means, you know, having your best life now to be productive and successful. And that is actually within the range of part of what it means. Of course, Jesus means more than that. But even if we just take that superficial definition, what is fruit for? Is it for the tree? No, the fruit that, the, the, that is produced is for the sake of others, that they might take it and be nourished with its delicious flavor. It's good and for others. Not only that, but the fruit carries with it the seed inside of it so that that seed is being passed on in order to create more pr- plants and more fruit. A fruitful life is one that bears God's word along with it for the sake of others. And then I love this. He says that it produces this giant fold that he says it grows with patience. With patience. I hope that encourages you as much as it encourages me. How many times do we sit down across the table from each other with a cup of coffee in hand and with complete sincerity look each other in the eye and say, "You know, I just don't really feel like I'm growing." Yeah, with patience. My children don't look like they're growing, like, in front of me. Apples don't look like they're growing. Like, this afternoon, you guys want to get together? We're going to go to the orchard and watch some apples grow. We're like, we could sell some tickets, raise a little money. It'll be great. Good time. It'll be a slow afternoon, right? I don't think that my kids are growing until their genes don't fit anymore, and we have to go get more right? They're surely growing. Or we have like one of those things that syncs with your photo library. So we have like the last nine months of our lives just appear on our television screen when it goes into the rest mode. And you just see, oh, wow, they're, look at how much they've grown. You are the same. If you're trusting in Christ, you're following him, you are growing. Try to take a look back over the last few years and see the growth take place and see which genes you don't fit into anymore. Well, what is good soil? How do we get it? Good soil is soil that is tilled. Good soil is soil that has had its rocks removed and its weeds pulled out. It's interesting here. As Jesus tells these parables what he says to the disciples when they come and ask he says to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven but for others they are in parables so that seeing they won't see and hearing they won't understand so jesus says i tell parables so that people will be confused Again, sermons, when we use illustrations, we're trying to make things more clear. Trying to tell you a story that helps your imagination and emotions engage it, and so you tap right in. And Jesus is saying, I'm kind of doing the opposite of that. I'm making it confusing. Why? Why in the world would he do that? Wasn't he the great teacher and communicator? You know how at restaurants, like at the bar, they used to put the pretzels out in bowls? And... uh." or like the the nut mix, right? The only place I know of in town that still does that is uh, Dog Street Pub. Because we're all germaphobes and we realize how gross it is to put your fingers in the same bowl as a bunch of strangers, they don't do it anymore other places, Dog Street gives you the little spoon. Um, (laughs) Because it's disgusting without the spoon, because we know things now. Why do they put the pretzels and nuts out? Why are they giving it away for free? So that in one of my favorite episodes of Seinfeld, as George and Jerry and Elaine and Kramer all said, when Kramer just had the one line in the Woody Allen movie, These pretzels are making me thirsty. And they say it over and over again. Different, these pretzels are making me thirsty. Really angry, really, really subtly. These pretzels are making me thirsty. And Jesus is giving us these parable pretzels to make us thirsty. So the disciples and the crowd are no different. They are both completely confused, but the, but the disciples come to Jesus and they say, now what, were you, what was that again? Because we don't understand. Jesus is the tall drink of water that we go to. Not that kind of tall drink of water. <laughs> the real kind. Um, he is the cold drink to satisfy the thirst that is created as he teaches us that we go to him. Eugene Peterson says this about parables. Parables aren't explanations. They aren't even illustrations. We cannot expect to look at a parable as a spectator and get it. A parable does not make a thing easier. It makes it harder by requiring our participation by entering into the story. Parables are verbal defenses against our disengaged complacency. Hear what he's saying. The story makes it harder because you have to enter into the story, and that's exactly what the disciples are doing. Jesus is the farmer. Even in the telling of the parables, he is scattering the seed. And they come to him and they say, tear up our soil and take out our rocks and remove the weeds because we don't understand and we need your help to get it. And he's not only the farmer. He is the seed itself. The Gospel of John tells us that Jesus is the word made flesh. And what does the seed in the story do? It enters into the soil and dies so that life will come. To understand the word, we have to go to Christ. We have to go to the one who says to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. And the secret of the kingdom is that it doesn't just come with power or a sword, but with the hearing of the word, with death unto life, to all who will simply receive it. So that we can sit down with Jesus and take off our noise-canceling headphones and take care how we hear. May that be so. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have given us your word, that you have given it to us in love so that we can know you and that we can know life abundantly, we pray, produce fruit in our lives, that we might not just be hearers but doers, that we would not just be listeners of the word but bearers of the word to a thirsty and dry and hard world. In Christ's name we pray, amen.